0: So those are the wonderful, exciting things, just a smattering of the things that are are happening uh, here in the church. There are many, many more, which we'll tell you about later. But for now, let's continue uh, our study. Uh, We're talking about foundational beliefs, and we started with the Bible. It informs us about everything else we believe. The Bible informed us about the attributes of God and the work and uh, character of Jesus Christ. And now we've been exploring the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I mentioned to you last week the Lord faced execution, and so he visited with his most faithful followers Uh, to prepare them for it. See, he was going and they couldn't yet come. And so it was in John 14, 6. If you recall, he said, I will ask the Father. So here's God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, uh, uh, making a request to God, the Father, the first person of the Trinity. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper, who the context identifies as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He will send you another helper who will be with you forever. Forever. And I mentioned to you that if you're a Christian, uh, you are sandwiched in between two marvelously divine helpers. One has been resurrected and ascended to heaven. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and you've got an outside helper, but you also got an inside helper here on earth, and that is... Uh, His very Spirit, who has He has made to indwell us. So we spoke about that last week and spoke about the nature of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, I can tell you what we have in common. It's a deep appreciation for Him. I didn't say it. Oh, no. It's not may the force be with you. (laughs) It's the very Spirit of Father God who is with us. And we as Christians... We value His presence in our lives. We think about His manifold ministries. We know but for Him we couldn't even be saved. He convicted us of sin and of how to be in right standing with Almighty God. We know without Him we couldn't be sure about our salvation, but we're sealed in Him. He's a pledge, a marvelous down payment of the fulfillment and consummation of our salvation one day. We know without Him we couldn't even pour over and understand his scriptures. The word of God would be a closed book for us as it is for unsaved people. And we know the Holy Spirit loves us so much that he even messes us up when we're going astray so that we can get things straightened out with Almighty God. So what we Christians have in common, be sure, is so much. We love that the the Spirit of God has made his abode in our lives and will be with us forever. But I have to tell you, we do part company over how we get the Holy Spirit and when. And I I have to tell you, I'm a little reluctant even to address this subject tonight because I shudder to think we may divide over it. I have to tell you the great divide in the world today is not the matter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit the great divide in the world today as it always has been is the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel cuts right down the middle, and so it leaves those who believe it and those who reject it. The Bible says there are only two groups of people on earth, really, those who have the Son and those who do not have the Son. And so if we divide as those who have the Son on any other uh, lines, I'm sure it grieves our Father, and I don't want to be responsible for it. So if you have a different perspective than the one I'm going to share with you, Let's not make it a test of fellowship. Let's get down the road as members of the body of Christ who lovingly disagree about a few things. Now, you might say, well, then why uh, are you even addressing the subject if it has the capacity to divide? Well, Well, because the Bible does, and we're not allowed to pick and choose the subjects we address because the Bible addresses the subject and we have a responsibility to address the full counsel of God here, we have to deal with it. So I'm glad to, because I think I know what the scriptures say about it, and I'm fairly confident that I'm not going to misrepresent them. Uh, so, so I'm glad to embrace this subject, but I want to make sure we continue to embrace one another, even if we have a different perspective On the subject. So I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When does it happen? Well, uh, some say at the point of conversion. So you receive the Spirit of Christ when you accept Christ. The two are coincidental. When you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life at that moment, He sends His Spirit to inhabit you. But others say, no, that's not the case. At the point of conversion, you do get the Holy Spirit to some extent, but you can get him to a far greater extent subsequent to the point of conversion. In fact... You could even look forward to, some would say, what we could call a second blessing, the first being the marvelous introduction into the family of God, the second being that which comes after it and which is evidenced by uh, maybe a new love for unsaved people, maybe uh, by a an appreciation for the things of Christ you never had before, maybe even by certain noticeable gifts like the gift of tongues. Some will say the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is your ability to speak with tongues, uh, different kinds of uh, languages. So those are the two major points of view. Now, I have to tell you, Um, I don't think I or you, we have a right to scrutinize or evaluate or judge one another's personal and subjective experiences, so I can tell you about a personal experience I have had, and I hope you listen respectfully to it in reserve judgment. You don't know whether it's authentic or not because it happened to me. So too, if you share with me one of your spiritual experiences. I have to remain a little neutral. I don't know whether it's authentic or not. I don't want to doubt it, but I don't want to rush to quick belief easy either. It's subjective and it is your experience. And so our calling as ministers is not to judge one another's experiences, But our calling as ministers is to judge how we handle the Word of God. So I do feel like I have the authority to render a judgment about certain interpretations of Scripture. So let me share with you a passage of Scripture which those who hold to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the second blessing subsequent to conversion, let me share with you a passage of Scripture upon which they base that point of view. And let me just tell you, I'll play my hand right now. Let me just show you how it is a gross misinterpretation of the text. I didn't question their personal experience. I don't know that. I'm not in them. But I can tell you that they're distorting the text. So here we go. Acts chapter 8, 14 to 17. Acts. By the way, what's the full title for Acts? Acts of the? Okay, good. Just so that you got it. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, 14 to 17. Here we go. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem, of course, you know, uh, in the first century, the head church was in Jerusalem, it was not in Rome, and uh, nor was it in Houston. It was in Jerusalem. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, so Samaria, Jerusalem is in a province called Judea. And right above it, to the north of Judea, is a province called Samaria. So that's what we're talking about. So when the apostles who were in the south, in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria, the people in Samaria in the north, had received the word of God. Which is another way of saying they were born anew. When they heard that they, the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent them, they sent to the Samaritans, these two guys, Peter and John. They are two apostles, right? So all of the big shot apostles, the heads of the church in Jerusalem, they got together and as we heard that the Samaritans have accepted Christ, Peter and John go north to Samaria Check it out. By the way, what's the ethnic background of Peter and John? <laughs> <laughs> they're Jews, right? OK, just want you to note that. It's going to be sort of coming it's actually important in a second. Plus, I, I like to hear you say say that. So they're the Peter and John Jews. So who came down and don't get, don't get tripped up, even though I said, Samaria's in the north, w- whenever you leave Jerusalem, you come down in elevation. Okay, so so who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, so it says that they received the word of God. They got saved. And and then after it, these guys are going to come pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So you see how some people say you have the first experience of being saved and then subsequent to it, you get the second experience of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, see, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. So they were saved, but the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So this really looks on its face that uh, many of us are wrong, including me. If you believe that you get the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion and coincident with the time when you receive Christ, this seems to dispute it because they received Christ, but it looks like subsequent to it, not coincident with it, they received the Holy Spirit. Mm. Well, let's talk about this. There was a guy named Philip. He was an evangelist, another Jewish guy. He preached the gospel to these Samaritans. That was his calling. Many of them, we're reading about it here, believed and were baptized in water. Then, after this, Peter and John, two other Jewish apostles, go uh, down to Samaria, and there the Samaritans, who had already believed and been baptized in waters, uh, they were prayed over, and thus they received the Holy Spirit. Now, do you recall what the relationship was between Jews and Samaritans? oh it was terrible you know you know we read we can't help but reading hearing in the news every day in iraq the terrible animosity between the two branches of muslim people living there the uh, the shia and the sunni muslim people some call it a civil war it's a terrible and devastating uh, uh, animosity between the two people groups this was sort of like it in fact i think i, I think you know about this the, The Jews so despised the Samaritans um, and thought they were such an underclass, so defiled and polluted spiritually that if you were going, if you were a Jew, going from Judea and going really far north to Galilee, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So you should go like from Judea to Samaria to Galilee. But then you'd have to pass through Samaria. But Samaritans live there. They're a mixed breed. They're dirty, they're defiled, you get cooties. So what the Jews would do, even though this was terribly ineffective, way out of the way, instead of going through Samaria, they would do this big circular kind of a thing. They 'd go off over here, cross the Jordan River, You'd be in modern day Jordan It was called trans Jordan in that day, and then they would cross back over the Jordan River when they got up here in Galilee. You see it? I just want to tell you these two people were not kissing cousins they and it was centuries of, just like we see in Iraq, centuries of uh, uh, of bad blood, terrible, terrible contempt between these two people uh. Uh, Groups. And so (laughs) now uh, Philip, a Jew, goes to Samaria, gets himself really, really dirty spiritually and ceremonially by taking the greatest story ever told to this despised people group, and they respond like crazy. They're coming to Christ, the Jewish Messiah, by the droves. Well, long before word gets back to the church capital of the world, Jerusalem, and the church leaders hear about this, and they start saying stuff, I'm sure, like, Oy vey, not the Samaritans. (laughs) I can't overestimate to you what an overwhelming thing this was. The Jews believed salvation was of the Jews, for the Jews, by the Jews, through the Jews. And now, it took root in the lives of Samaritans. How could God do such a... We're the chosen people. We are the we, you are the they. That they don't get saved by Yeshua. So this is a huge thing, folks. It makes the black-white issue, segregation in our country, look like a picnic. That's just how bad this racial animosity was. So the question could be asked, what would it take to get the Jewish apostles? They were all Jews, Jewish apostles. Peter and John, all the boys, they were all Jews. What would it take to get them to recognize the legitimacy of the gospel being shared with and accepted by the Samaritans? They just refused to believe it. So they sent Peter and John over there to see what's going on. And God knows he has to provide for them evidence that the same Holy Spirit who came upon them in Acts chapter 2. We know it as Pentecost. Uh, to us, it's Shavuot, uh, Pentecost. God wanted to show the Jewish apostles, in particular Peter and John, who would go back and give a report that the same Holy Spirit who they received was coming upon these Samaritans. And that's why it was a delayed occurrence of the coming Of the Holy Spirit. You'll see in the Acts of the Apostles. Anytime the gospel is introduced to a new people group started with the Jews, but every time it's introduced beyond the Jews to a new people group, you will see the delay in the coming of the Holy Spirit until the Jewish apostles are there to see him, the Holy Spirit, coming upon them, just authenticating their salvation and inclusion in the body of Christ. In other words, you don't have to become a Jew to be saved, you have to come to Jesus to be saved. Now, I know that's not a big deal for you guys because we're 2,000 years removed from it. Please understand, in that day, all this was a very Jewish thing. You were outsiders. Oh, the good old days. (laughs) And so this delayed occurrence is very, very unusual and meant to wait on Peter and John witnessing it so that they could go back and later report to all of the Jewish apostles, leaders of the church, the same Holy Spirit who came upon us in Acts 2 came upon them. And in fact, this in Acts 8 is actually a second Pentecost. So here we go. Acts chapter 2 is the Jewish Pentecost. It was all Jews in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8, however, is the Samaritan Pentecost. Same Holy Spirit coming upon and into both diverse people groups. And the Jewish apostles, namely Peter and John, saw it. I asked you to spell out the name of the whole book, Acts of the Apostles, just to be reminded... It doesn't say teaching of the apostles. It says acts of the apostles. This is what they did at a particular foundation, transitional point in the life of the church. I'll demonstrate to you. Nowhere is it taught that this unusual phenomenon, this subsequent coming of the Holy Spirit after conversion, nowhere is it taught that that's typical or normative for today. Well, here's another passage, however, that the other side um, advances to support their position. Take a look. Acts chapter 10, verses 44, 45. I'll pick up the pace in just a second. Acts 10, 45. While Peter, okay, so, you know, that's the same guy, the Jewish apostle guy. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, circumcised believers is another way to say Jews. All the circumcised believers who had come with Peter, they came up from Joppa, 30 miles south of where we are now. This is Caesarea, Acts 10. All these people who came with Peter were amazed. Why? Well, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. It was at Cornelius' house. He was a Roman soldier. He yearned to hear truth. So he opened up his home, invited all his Gentile friends and neighbors to come, waiting for Peter to come and share the greatest story ever told, the gospel message. Well, Peter's not going to go into this guy's house. You know why? Peter was an Orthodox Jew. Orthodox Jews do not go into the homes of Gentiles because Gentiles serve food that is not kosher. And once again, just by hanging out in that environment, we can get defiled by osmosis. It's the way it is. So, what would it take for Peter to go into the home of this guy and the you know this Italian guy Cornelius was an Italian guy no self respecting orthodox Jew is going over there. not going to hang out well he he has a lunch break, Peter. you remember the story? He takes a little i guess a kind of a snooze you might say, and in the course of that there's this marvelous vision. Good night. this white i guess sheet like kind of a thing is coming from on high, and in it is all kinds of. Non-kosher stuff, funny stuff, you know, gumbo and etouffee and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Peter is just, and he hears a voice, and the voice says, hey, enjoy yourself, dig in. Peter says, no, not me, because I've been faithful, you know, since I was, I'm an observant Jew. I keep the law. And then the voice, hang on just a second, Mr. Cool." Are, 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 do you have higher standards than God? If God declares what's in the sheet to be clean, are you going to still consider it to be unclean? Well, Peter, God, it. it had nothing to do with gumbo. It had nothing to do with food. It had to do with peoples. The voice persuaded him, Peter, you've grown up thinking it's you versus them. They're on the other side of the tracks. You've grown up thinking you're chosen because of some good stuff in you. You've grown up thinking, you Jews are superior and you got nothing else to do with the underclass. Well, I, your God, am declaring those people to be clean. Peter got the message. Well, then the next day, you remember this, a messenger summons him. He mounts up with these other circumcised believers, Jews. They go up north to Caesarea. They go into this Italian guy's house. Peter preaches the greatest story ever told, tells him about the Lord Jesus. They all believe. And subsequent to it, they receive, they are baptized, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. So once again, notice, you have a Jewish apostle and other Jewish believers there to witness the coming of the Holy Spirit upon now as if Samaritans weren't bad enough. (laughs) Now we got Gentiles living next door. I'm telling you, that is what's going down over here. Don't miss this kind of... So you know what you have here? You have a third Pentecost in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the Jewish Pentecost. Acts chapter 8 is the Samaritan Pentecost. Acts chapter 10 is the Gentile Pentecost. Folks, you are seeing... The gospels start with the Jews and go beyond them to every people group on earth. And if you don't think that's a big deal, you are missing it. So every time the extension of the gospel goes from Jewish people to a new people group, every time, then the Holy Spirit came after salvation to demonstrate to the Jewish apostles who were the leaders of the church that the same Holy Spirit who came upon them on Pentecost in Acts 2, came upon these others. In fact, this evidence was so significant that Peter called upon it at a church business meeting. They had him in those days too. This one is in Acts chapter 15. There was a big deal issue. And it wasn't about um, how to decorate the foyer, you know, real important stuff that we get in fights over. <laughs> it was about, um, you know what it was about? It was about, about you guys. It was about the Gentiles. It was about, what is the deal? They're moving in. They're taking over. we got to figure out how we're going to handle these people. And there was a lot of discussion. Like, should we make you obey the law of Moses? Hey, we got to do it. You know? Why don't you do it? So there's a big discussion. The church council, it's called, Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. So it was a big deal. What do you require of Gentiles now who are saved? So Peter stands up. And in Acts chapter 15, there it is on the screen, verse 7 to 9, he says, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So you see, he can call upon what he saw both in Acts 8 and in Acts 10 and bring it to bear as testimony before this tribunal in Acts chapter 15 that I saw it. God gave testimony, the same Holy Spirit who we received in Acts 2, they received in Acts 8 and Acts chapter 10. So you see, the purpose of the delayed coming of the Holy Spirit in these cases after conversion was not to suggest a normative, repeatable event. No, it was simply to show us how God taught the Jews to open the church to every people group. For the Lord Jesus desires for none to perish, but for all to be saved. And so Acts is transitional. Every new extension of the gospel to non-Jews involved the Holy Spirit coming upon them subsequent to accepting Christ. But once the gospel went forth to other people groups, you never again see this phenomenon outside the book of Acts. Acts of the apostles. So if you believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second blessing experience, which empowers the believer, then you're entitled to that. But the burden of proving it is on you. And you cannot prove it to me by your personal experience, which is valid for you. Great. I'm glad you've had a good personal experience. But we started out our study on foundational beliefs with the Bible, the Reformation belief, sola scriptura, the Bible alone. We don't take the Bible plus your experience. We take the Bible as the supreme voice of authority for us. And so therefore, even if you've had a personal experience, if it cannot be substantiated and validated by the scriptures, you've got some work to do to rethink your personal experience. Now, I'm not raining on your parade. We're just looking to what the scriptures have to say. You cannot show me the baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation outside of the book of Acts. I defy you. If you do, I'll buy you lunch. And uh, stand up here next week and say, I apologize. But I feel fairly safe because I studied this a lot. You can't find the experience outside the book. So here's the deal. What we are reading about here in Acts is not typical. It is transitional. Don't miss this. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are Gospels, right? And then you got Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, And after Acts, you have all the letters that tell you how to grow in Christ. So between the biographies of the Lord Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us of his death, burial, and resurrection, and then you get over here that say, in light of that, this is how you should live, you have a transitional book called the Acts of the Apostles. What transitions? Folks, how about this? A transition from synagogue to church. Huge. How about this transition? From worship on Sabbath day to Sunday. You don't think that's a big transition? That's huge. How about this one? Um, From old covenant to new covenant. How did you get from Malachi over here to the New Testament? How did you get from the old covenant to the new covenant? The book of Acts is the transition book to show us the movement from old. How about this? The transition from salvation being offered to the Jews alone. Do you remember when the Lord said that this is for the children? Would you, you, you remember? And the Gentile lady said, yeah, but even, the, even the, the dogs can eat from the crumbs which fall from the table. This was like a new deal. So this is a transition from salvation offered to Jews alone to being offered to Everyone. Not just Jews. Huge. Now, once all these transitions take place, and they do in the book of Acts, you never again see the Holy Spirit coming upon a believer in delayed fashion. I defy you to show me that. Now, I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade. And this is not the Baptist position. I don't come from a Baptist background. I'm like the best Baptist you can find because I chose to be one. Many of you were just born into it. I made an intelligent decision to be one. This is not the Baptist position. Don't pin that on me. This is the biblical position, unless you can prove otherwise. Show me the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent experience after conversion in any other place outside the book of Acts. And so you see, the occurrence of such is not typical. It is transitional. Now, since the book of Acts is all about transitions, let me make this statement. The only acts in the book of Acts that are normative for the church today are those that are confirmed elsewhere in Scripture. That's the principle. The apostles prayed in the book of Acts. Does that mean we shouldn't pray? Sure we should. Why? Because that act of praying is repeated all in all kinds of places outside the book of Acts. The Apostles gave sacrificially in the book of Acts, so we do. The Apostles witnessed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this unusual, atypical phenomenon of the Holy Spirit coming in delayed fashion is not normative and repeatable, uh, though it's in the book of Acts, because it cannot be located anywhere outside the book. Remember, the Acts of the Apostles. I didn't name it that, it's named that, you're the ones who told me that. It doesn't say this is the teaching of the apostles, this is the doctrine of the apostles. It says these are the acts of the apostles. Doesn't mean the book is of no value to us, are you kidding? What a bridge between Old and New Testament and all the other transitions I mentioned to you. But just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's repeatable. Good night, folks. When was the last time you sacrificed an unblemished male lamb in your backyard? (laughs) That's in the Bible don't you see this progress in the Bible? We call it progressive revelation of God's redemptive plan. It starts in Genesis, then it progresses to Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus, and if you can get through Leviticus, you keep going, and you go all over here, and then you get to Revelation where we sing victory in Jesus, you see? So what do you take? Let's just go back to the old covenant. Don't take me back to the book of Acts. So folks, here's the deal seeking the baptism of the holy spirit after you are saved is not something you ought to do. Why? <laughs> because nowhere in the New Testament are you encouraged to do so. Nowhere. Why? Because if you're a believer you already have him. 1 Corinthians 12:13 For by one spirit we were all Here it is, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptized into one body. What do you mean all? I mean all. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, everybody. We're all made to drink of one spirit. You see in that verse, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the past tense. It already happened. And you know what's interesting? That verse of assurance was written to really goofball Christians. The Corinthians were not exactly the standard bearers of virtuous Christian living. They were carnal creepos, but they had the Holy Spirit in full measure. Well, Matt, how much more you and I, for crying out loud, you see? So for Paul, there aren't two separate groups of believers. Have you ever had someone said, I know you're saved. You know, I had a lady tell me not long ago, Stuart, it's really good, and you mean well, but you don't have the full gospel. Come on, I'll give you a full one of these. <laughs> you know, when we're going to stop judging one another on who has the full, listen, I told you there's two groups of people, who has the son and he who does not have the son. I mentioned to you last week that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost, a wind, a impersonal being. You don't get him in pieces and in parts. He's a whole. He's a person. He has mind and emotions and will. And so you get him in his totality the moment you receive Christ. In fact, Paul is so certain about uh, the fact that there aren't these levels of, you know, full gospel, half gospel, you know, three-fifths gospel, whatever the deal is. He really says, I got to tell you, if, you're, uh, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not even saved. Look at Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, you does not belong to Him. So that's what I'm trying to say. There's the lost and the saved, not those who've received the baptism and those who haven't. You don't subject yourself to that kind of elitism. Come on. Listen, i got to tell you something. I'm acquainted with sin. So are you. I sinned a lot before I knew Christ. And I sinned some even after. I'm not ashamed. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. But I'm just speaking to fellow sinners. I I mean, we don't have anything on one another. I'll tell you what happens to me when I sin as a Christian. Probably the same thing happens to you. I sort of cave in on myself. I I just, it's like a balloon, the air is let out. I'm miserable. I just shrivel up, feel like walking death. It's not right. No joy, no peace, no goodness. No kindness, no self-control. And then when I say, oh, God, I have sinned against you. Thank you for forgiving me by suffering and dying for me on a cross 2,000 years ago. I confess my sin. Oh, God, thank you for forgiving me. Would you strengthen me so that I'm less prone to do it again? But then, then, I, then I get pumped up. Then I come in and sing God's praises with you. Then I have peace. Then I have joy. Then you know what my point is? I don't need more of the Holy Spirit. I need less of me. Could I tell you to a, a shortcut to the whole process of being obedient to Christ? Seek some dramatic, instantaneous, you know, I want to, I just want to be a a Corinthian kind of a Christian, but to get this baptism of the Holy Spirit that makes it all good. I just want to skip over sanctification. I just want to skip over confession. I just want to skip over repentance. I just want the Holy Spirit to just kind of come in and take over and do all this stuff while I sin all the more. I wish that would work. Instant coffee, instant mashed potatoes, instant sanctification. No. Paul says, I gotta get up every day and face the fact that I'm in a battle between flesh versus spirit. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. You have Him fully. The moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, I gotta stop quenching Him. We gotta be filled up with Him. Listen. My, uh, our, our middle son, Grant, got married <clears throat> a couple weeks ago. By the way, I had lunch with him today. He's like an expert on marriage all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, hi. But anyway, uh, they got a nice house. You know, he and our wonderful daughter-in-law, Karen, they got a nice little starter house <clears throat> for this young couple. But it's cluttered. Man, oh man, you can't hardly move around because you got his stuff and now, and now her stuff and and by the way, a lot of your stuff. Thank you so much. <clears throat> and he I mean, has boxes and wires and and I suppose one approach to the dilemma is to buy a bigger house <sighs> or just unclutter the one you got. You. you You get my drift? Come on, my fellow Christians. We're in a war. Starve the flesh. Minimize the flesh. Shrink the flesh. Say, Holy Spirit, my heart is your home. I'm clearing out every sin and encumbrance which gets in your way. Because you don't mix well with defilement and carnality. You don't like that kind of atmosphere. I'd like the shortcut. Let me get a bigger house. Very dramatic and instantaneous. Better for me to clear out the clutter. And be filled up with your presence so that you can do great and mighty things even through an earthen vessel. such as me. So my fellow temples of the Holy Spirit, I love this passage, with which we'll close. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know? I guess some of us forget. Do you not know that your body will be, if you get the second blessing, no, present tense, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who maybe one day, if you speak in tongues, will be in you. No! Who is in you. And that as a result, you're not your own. but you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know what? You and I would do good to pray every day. Not, oh, give me the baptism of... You know what would be a better thing to say? Daddy, I want to make room for your spirit today. Remember that show years ago, Make Room for Daddy? (laughs) We ought to be about the business of making room for Daddy's spirit. And how do you do that? Confess sin. Ask yourself every day, what would Jesus do? (laughs) What would make my heart more comfortable for you? Spirit of Christ, Spirit of truth, other helper who lives in me already. What can I do to clear out the clutter so that you can empower me, fill me, give me the experience of the fruit of your habitation in my life. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, all the rest, confession, repentance, living under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness, because he is the Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, we have uh, seen the enemy and he is us, ourselves. For we have already every bit of spiritual blessing we need. To be and do everything you want us to be and do. For you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. The likes of the heavenly places. With the Holy Spirit. So would you put it in us, Lord Jesus, to wake up every morning and reckon ourselves to be dead. The old man has been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who wants to stretch out and get comfortable and have his way in me. So be it, Lord Jesus Christ. Mess us up until we confess sin, turn from it. Clear out the clutter and stand by as you do great and mighty things in us and through us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.